The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. And church, let's take our Bibles this morning, turn back to the book of Acts, where we've been working our way through this book. And today, we will look at Acts 16 and Acts 17 together. Acts chapter number 17, I want you to draw your attention, if you would, to the first several verses. Let me read these for you. Acts 17, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where, they were, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some of the wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset, or these men who have turned the world upside down, have come here as well. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another King Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who had these, heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Would you bow for a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to bless the reading of the Word of God. Our Father, we do come to you now in this time together, and we ask that you would put your blessing upon the reading of your holy, infallible, inerrant, and perfect word. Simply being, Lord, we believe that the word written is your very word indeed. And so we pray now that you would put it into our hearts, that you would teach us and train us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shall love you. I pray that if there's somebody here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would draw them to the merciful and forgiving Jesus Christ who died upon the cross and rose again, that they might put their faith and confidence in Him and in so doing have opportunity for eternal life here and now and in the future. And we will love you. We will thank you for it is in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. You notice there uh, that uh, in verse number 6, it said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. And you see in your bulletin, I kind of maybe just did a little play on words with that as uh, kind of turning the world right side up. You see, the people that said that the uh, apostles here, that Paul and Silas and, and this house of Jason, that they were turning the world upside down, these were lost people. 
These were people who were undone. They were heathen people. They were, they were people that were without Christ. And what they were saying is that Paul and Silas are turning our world uh, upside down. But if you look at this from a Christian perspective, from God's point of view, what Paul and Silas were actually doing was turning the world right side up the way that God intended it to be by bringing them the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and His saving mercy and kindness. And so today what we want to do is just look at chapter number 16, back up for a minute and say, how do we get to this place in chapter 17? How do we get to the place where they said, these that are causing trouble, these that are turning the world upside down, they, they've come here and we want to see what does it take for our church to turn our community Maybe to begin back up from that, maybe to turn our own lives, to turn our families, and to turn our church, to turn our community in Raleigh, and even the state of North Carolina and our country and the world. How do we turn the world right side up again? Well, I'll just kind of tell the story for you for the sake of time. If you were to back up and look in chapter number 16, in fact, look there if you would, in verse number 1, you'll see that it says that Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy and the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and he had a father who was Greek. And so as we back our way up in chapter number 16, you see that the Apostle Paul is on his missionary journey and he comes there to uh, Derby and to Lystra and he, he sees this guy, young guy that's, a, uh, that's preaching the word, following Jesus. He has a Jewish mother who's a believer and a Greek father and he says, I want Timothy to come along with me. And so he picks up Timothy and as chapter 16 goes on, you'll find that Paul and Timothy and Silas, they have a desire. They want to go to Asia. So they want to go preach the gospel. But a little bit farther along, they start to preach the gospel, start to go into Asia. And the Spirit of God says, no, I don't want you to go there. And so they back up and they regroup and they say, well, maybe if the Lord doesn't want us to go there, then we'll go to Troas and that's where we'll take it out and we'll, we'll give the gospel there. We'll, we'll work there in uh, Basilia and all of these other little countries. And, and he says uh, that the Spirit of Christ says to them in chapter 16, no, I don't want you to go there either. I don't want you to be in Asia. I don't want you to be in Troas. And so Paul doesn't know what to do. So you know what he does when he doesn't know what to do? He takes a nap. Paul goes to sleep. And the Bible says that he has a vision that a man from Macedonia, which is uh, in, in that province there, has a dream. And a man from Macedonia says, come over and preach the gospel. Come over and speak to us. And so in chapter number 16, you'll find that Luke and Paul and Silas and Timothy, they all get this vision that they should go into Macedonia and preach the good news to those people. And so they make their way in chapter 16 to the large city of Philippi which is in Macedonia. And as they, get to, uh, as they get to Philippi, they're going outside of the city one day and they're looking for a place to pray. They're looking for a place to, to gather and, and, and pray and call for God to do a work. And wouldn't you know, they find Lydia Smith. They, fi <laughs> they find Lydia and Lydia is this Gentile. She is a textile worker. She probably has a lot of money. She's a businesswoman. She really knows what she's doing. And the Bible says that she's a God-fearing Greek. And so she, she has something in her heart. She wants to know the truth. And the Bible says that God opens up Lydia's heart. And Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, they begin to preach the gospel to her. And Lydia comes to faith in Christ. And what does she do? As soon as she comes to faith in Christ, she says, why don't you come and dwell in 
my house. And can I just say, maybe take a, a small moment to give you a word of application. When people genuinely get saved, they love to be around God's people. They want to be in church. They want to be around other believers. And so when somebody says to me that I love Jesus, but I, I don't love the church, that's an oxymoron. You, you can't love Jesus and not love His church. Right? You want to be around God's people. Somebody that says, I am a believer, but I, I haven't gone to church. I don't go to church. I, I'm not involved. I'm not responsible. I'm not under the subjection of other people. I don't let the church speak into my life. You're lost. True repentance and true faith brings Christ into the open heart for redemption, but it also causes us to have this unique desire for community around the gospel. And so Lydia gets born again, and then the next several days, here's what happened. Paul and Silas, they, they go back out looking for another place to pray. And you'll find that that comes up in this book again and again and again, that they're looking for a place to pray, and they're giving God glory, and they're going to Him in prayer, and our church needs to pray as well. And so they go out to find this place of prayer. And when you know it, there's this little servant girl who is filled with a demon. Isn't that crazy? And she's walking behind Paul and Silas and she's speaking truth. She's saying to the people, they are bringing the way of salvation to you. And Paul gets annoyed with her after several days and turns around and rebukes the demon, casts the demon out of this girl. And you know what happens at the end of chapter number 16? What you find is there are some really dirty people in that city who have been using this probably teenage girl who is possessed with a demon for their own money, for their own sake, to prosper themselves, to use her as some sort of divination piece, to, 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 to use her and abuse her and, and to, to, to make money based upon her life. And now they can't do that anymore because the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has cast out the demon in this young girl. And so the, all the people that were making money off of her, they rise up and they beat Paul and Silas and that company with many lashes. And so what you'll find is then they throw them into prison. It's not enough that they just beat them, but they throw them into prison. And where Lydia got saved when they came to Philippi, now you'll find that Paul and Silas are in prison at midnight and they are singing praises to God and worshiping in Him and praying to Him and calling upon God. And at midnight, their chains are loosed. The bonds are free. All of the prison doors open up. And the jailer thinks, this Philippian jailer thinks that all of the prisoners are going to be released, but Paul says to him, don't take your life. Don't commit suicide. All of the prisoners are right exactly where they should be. And so the Philippian jailer bursts into where Paul is and he says, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Chapter 16 they have this Macedonian vision and God calls them and sends them to Philippi and Lydia believes and trusts in Christ, her and her household. And now later on in the chapter, the Philippian jailer, he gets saved and all of his household and they believe. And so after they are released at the end of chapter number 16, and let me just tell you this in case you haven't read it, the Apostle Paul can be very stubborn at times. Did you know that? It was the elitist people that put Paul in prison. So when it came time to release him at the end of chapter number 16, he told the jailer, no, you don't release me. You tell all the chiefs and the bosses to get down here in this prison and they release me. And that's exactly what happened. 
You know what happens in chapter number 17, kind of where we, where we started. All of this, Lydia gets saved, this jailer gets saved. And so uh, Paul and Silas, they go to Thessalonica and they begin preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he saves people right where they are. And some people believe and some don't. And all of a sudden, this as a riot breaks out. And people are thinking that their gods are being taken away and idols are being torn down. and Christ is being lifted up and they want to beat them again. They want to hurt them them again. They want to put them in chains again. And in fact, when they can't find Paul and Silas, what does it say? They found Jason Pritchard. Just messing with me. They found Jason who was once again housing these people, drags them out there saying, where are these that are bringing the gospel? Where are those that have turned the world upside down? Well, let me just close out chapter number 17 for you and then we'll make a few points. So they flee from Thessalonica to a place called Berea, Paul and Silas. And when they get there, they begin to preach the gospel again. But do you know what it says about the lost people at Berea? Not saved people, lost people. It says that these were more noble or more open-minded than those that were in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was telling them was actually corresponding with truth. When I was growing up, in fact, I was talking with a friend of mine earlier uh, this week, and I said, you know, when I was growing up, I used to hear people say, be a Berean Christian, because they are more noble than those in Thessalonica. But if you actually read the text, they were lost people. And it says that they were more open-minded to the truth of the gospel, and many there believed because of this. Well... There comes problems in Berea as well. And what does the Apostle Paul do? He leaves Paul and Timothy there in Berea and he goes on to Athens. And by the time you get to the end of chapter number 17, the Apostle Paul just can't keep Jesus quiet on the inside. He's standing there at the hill of the Areopagus. He sees all of these false idols. In fact, they're even worshiping one God that is to the unknown God. And the Apostle Paul is sitting there and wringing his hands. He's waiting on Paul and Silas and finally he can't do it anymore and so he walks up there and he says let me tell you who you're worshiping this unknown God it is Jesus Christ and him alone and he has been resurrected from the grave and he preaches to them and at the very end some of them mock him and some of them believe on Jesus Christ that's a pretty power-packed two chapters isn't it Lydia gets saved The jailer gets saved. They're thrown in prison, out of prison, into Thessalonica, into Berea, and they find themselves there, the Areopagus, preaching the word of the living God and the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think back in our text for today, they get it right. These who have turned the world upside down have come here as well. I just want to ask you, in this year that's before us, not next year and not last year, but right now in this year, is it possible for our church to turn our community right side up? Maybe I should back that down and just ask, is it possible for us to turn our families right side up? Maybe some of us in here today, our own lives need to be turned right side up 
We have ongoing sins and ongoing shame. and We have relationships that need to be mended. And our community needs us. Our city needs us. We need to be the kind of people who are going into our community, sharing Christ with those that are around us, and seeing the Lord change everything that's around us. I, I wonder if the people in our community would say that our church is turning this small community upside down for Jesus? Or would they just snore when they think about us? Are we doing anything that actually really matters in the scope of eternity in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community? So maybe we should just look for a minute or two at some Scripture to say, if we want to be the kind of church that is turning our community right side up for Jesus, what kind of people would we need to be? Well, look back down at the text with me if you would. I'll take you over to chapter 16. Here's the first point I would make. If we're going to turn our community and our lives right side up for the Lord Jesus Christ, then we need to be the kind of people who are praying and listening to the Spirit of God. Let me give you that again for those of you that are taking notes. We need to be the kind of believers simply who are praying and listening to the Spirit of God. Look at chapter number 16 and notice verse number 6 through 10. Look at what the Apostle Paul, what it says here. When he had seen the vision, verse number 10, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Look at, look back and, and, and here's the genesis of that. Verse number 6. They passed through Phrygia and Galatia region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And verse number 7. And after they had come to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not prevent, permit them to do that. And passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man from Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding this, that God had called us to preach the gospel to those people. Brothers and sisters, and I would say for our church, for our lives, for our families, then we need to be the kind of people that if we are going to turn our community right side up for the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are going to see him save people put back together marriages and put together and redeem people who are in addictions. If we are going to see God pour His gospel blessing out upon our school system and upon our neighborhood, then we must be the kind of people and believers who are praying and who are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. In the last seven days, what does your prayer life look like? I mean, I mean, seriously, I'm not just talking about over meals and, or, or this or that. I'm saying, have you really poured your heart and your life out to the Lord in prayer? Do you believe that God is there and that He will answer you, that He is good and that He is merciful? Do you believe that God really wants to bless your life and your family and this community? Have you gone to the Lord begging and pleading and longing, seeking after Him with all of your heart in prayer for those things that are most necessary and those things that are most critical in your own life. Are you a person of prayer? Or do we just talk about it and read about it and think about it and like it in other people's lives? 
Do you listen to the Spirit of God? I was praying earlier this week in here and just thinking about how um, we need to listen to what God wants us to do as a church. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of good things to be involved in, but what does the Lord want our church to do? How does the Lord want us to carry out the Great Commission in our neighborhood and in our city? That's what we need to be praying about. That's what we need to be seeking. That's what we need to be longing for is for the Lord to communicate to us. And let me just pause for a moment and give you a couple of words of application of how to put this into your life. Um, I'm not saying you have to do this, uh, but I would say to you, find some space in your life where you can really pray. So you know what I've been doing recently? I've made a decision that just for a little while, I don't know when I'll stop, but for a little while, when I'm in my truck alone, driving to and from work or, you know, doing work during the week, that when I'm in the truck alone, rather than turning the radio on or putting a CD in, um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give that space and that time between my commute from one place to another place to pray and to pour my life out to the Lord and ask God for His help and for His wisdom. And you know what I found? That sometimes after I've prayed for a few minutes, I still have a drive in front of me and it's kind of quiet. And I have a tendency in my life, and you're probably like me, to fill the quiet spots of our life with noise. And I just want to say to you that the Spirit of God will speak to you if you'll listen. Does the Spirit of God always work in tandem with His Word? Absolutely. Will the Spirit of God ever tell you to do something that's not biblical? He will never do that. But I want you to understand that as you read the Scripture and as you submit your life to obedience to Jesus, the Spirit of God will speak into your life. Somebody said to me one time, they said, well, does God still speak out loud? And my answer back is not to tell you no. My answer back to you is, are you quiet enough ever in your life that if He did speak out loud to you, you would hear Him? If God really did want to communicate to you in an audible voice, would you ever stop long enough to listen to Him? We dominate our lives and fill our lives with so many things rather than being a people of prayer and listening to the Spirit of God. You want me to tell you, uh, just maybe an application. How, how does the Lord, how does the Spirit speak to us sometimes? If you'll pray, right? Give yourself over, pray, pour your heart out. We do that here on Wednesdays. We do that in our Sunday school classes and small groups, that sort of thing. But after you've prayed and, and, and you've kind of given your prayer requests over to the Lord, just be quiet for a few minutes. And here's a wonderful way of what the Spirit will do. You know, things will start rising into your mind. Sometimes it's a grocery list. Sometimes it's another person. Sometimes it's an event. Whatever starts to come to the surface of your mind, why don't you just pray those to the Lord? They say, even my grocery list, do you believe that the Spirit of God would be involved in what I should buy at the grocery store? I think He can do that. But you know what will happen if you'll give enough time? Your fears and your relationships will rise to the surface of your mind. And I want to encourage you to pray through those. And pray those back to the Lord. And let Him do a work in your own life. 
Listen to the Spirit of God. You want to be the kind of person that turns your life right side up and your family and your community? You have to begin inwardly by being a person that is actually praying to the Lord and actually listening to the Lord. It could be that God wants to turn your life right side up, but you have a heap of bitterness against somebody. It might be that the Lord wants to turn you right side up, but you have so much anxiety and fear. You might be the kind of person who God wants to turn your life the right way, but you're so addicted to your own work and your own bank account that you won't let God do the work in your own soul. We were talking this morning in, in uh, our guys' Sunday school class, the youth guys, and I was telling them, you know, everybody, I'll tell you, if you're hearing me, listen to me, everybody is like us. We have, these, we have these dark, cold boxes that have locks on them, and you take your fears and your anxieties and your sins and your frustrations and all of that, and you dump it into the box and you lock the box and you never let anybody in to see it. And what I want you to understand is God wants you to go to Him in repentance and faith and open up the box and let him see what he already knows and open your life honestly to him and let him do heart surgery on you. I have a sense even in our own congregation that God might be wanting to turn us right side up in some places. But if we're not willing to go to him in prayer and really listen to what he says... It'll never happen. So I want to encourage you. Pray. Talk to the Lord. You can tell God anything. He's trustworthy. I know discipleship is tough. I know growing... Do you know why discipleship is so tough? Because a call to discipleship is a call to change. And anytime you start to do heart change in your own life, you're going to find that it's incredibly difficult to stop certain things and to start other things. But what I want you to understand is that you can trust God, you can trust Jesus Christ, and He will help you all along the way. Pray and listen to what the Lord is telling you in your life. I'm telling you, if you'll stop long enough, the Lord will speak into your life and tell you where it is you need to change. Let me make a... Second point from the text here today. If we want to turn our community and our own lives right side up, we have to proclaim the good news to all kinds of people or people from all walks of life. Look at uh, again in verse number uh, 10 through 14 there. You'll see that they, they go and they speak to this lady, Lydia, who is a worker of textiles and she has lots of money and very eloquent and she, uh, she has um, you know, a, a good life and a good intellect. And I would say to us that the good news goes to people even who have means. Sometimes we want to avoid that, but I want to say that the good news is for people of all walks of life. And when we look outside our church doors, we see people in our community from all different kinds of backgrounds. Don't pass over those people. Whether they're workmates or whether they're family or whether they're friends, you need to give the gospel and share the good news with all people at all times. And so you'll find in this text that Lydia is a person who has great intellect and great means and she deserves to hear the gospel. 
And what do you see later in the chapter? Look down there in the chapter, if you would, at verse number 31 and verse number 32 of chapter number 16. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Who are they speaking to at this point later in the chapter? They're speaking to a jailer. They're speaking to somebody who is in the common life, somebody who is in the rougher part of life. And I would say whether it is Lydia or whether it's the jailer, the good news cracks in upon our life and shows us that we need Jesus. There are things wrong with our lives no matter who they are and they need Jesus Christ. And so I want to say to our church, if we want to be the church that turns our world right side up, then we must be the kind of people who are giving good news to people from all walks of life. What about in chapter number 17, those at Thessalonica, those at Berea that were ready to stone them and beat them? Even our enemies deserve the gospel. Amen? Maybe one or two of you believe that. What about down there at the end of chapter number 17? I would simply say that students of all ages, whether they be in elementary or middle school or high school or college or graduate school, we have many educated people in our area. Even students need the gospel. And it's not just a matter of saying, you know, believe it or, or reject it. It's a matter of reasoning from them from the Scripture and showing them the existence of God and the goodness of Christ and the redemption of the soul. I just want to call to you and say, if we want to be the church that God wants us to be, if we want to turn our community right side up, then we have to be willing to share the good news with people from all walks of life. Not just people that look like you and act like you and think like you and that you think would be a good addition to our church. What if God in the next four or five years wanted to drastically change the makeup of our congregation? Would you be okay with that? I just want you to think about that. What if five years from now, God wanted to do such a work in our hearts and turn our church so right side up in His will and His timing, what the Spirit of God wanted, that, that the people that would be sitting in our pews and sitting beside you, that they would come from all different walks of life and backgrounds. But they loved Jesus. And they were surrendered to Him. And they wanted to do His work. Would you be willing to be a part of that kind of church? I would submit to you that if you're not, that's a place where you need to get right with Jesus. All right. We cannot just reach people who are like us. We've got to actively share the good news with hurting people from all walks of life. And until we're ready to do that, I'm not sure the Lord will bless so let us be the kind of people who are looking all the time for divine opportunities to share truth with all people. Look back down at the text. Let me make a quick point for you and we'll finish for today. If we want to turn our world right side up, we pray and listen to the Spirit of God as they did. We proclaim the good news to people from all walks of life. And we persevere in the face of persecution. Look back at chapter number 16, verse 22 through verse number 25. 
Look what it says here. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And what does he do? And having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Brothers and sisters, if we really are going to take the good news to our community, we have to be willing to say we're going to suffer some persecution. I don't think anybody's going to beat us half silly and put us into an inner prison and put stocks on us. But I would say that if these brothers could go into the world with a heart and a desire to reach people with the gospel, knowing what kind of persecution they were going to take, who are we as believers to take just a, a little bit of laughing or a little bit of teasing or maybe somebody put pushes us to the side or they're on a talk or they reject us, any bit of that, we must have the kind of perseverance that even in the face of persecution, we are moving and loving and living for something that's much larger than ourselves, mainly God and His glory and the spread of the good news for people around the world. Are you willing to persevere or do you give up at the first sign of trouble? Do you stop sharing the gospel? Do you not share the gospel when you're fearful of what somebody might say to you? I would say we need to be the kind of people who are willing to persevere, willing to stand in our school systems even when nobody will stand with us, willing to stand at our job even, and you have to do that carefully, right? I'm not telling you to go to your work tomorrow and take out a bullhorn and start sharing Christ among all of your lost friends. What I am saying, though, is maybe at a water cooler or maybe at a break time or maybe at the appropriate time. What if somebody in your life tomorrow says, how'd your weekend go? What will you say to them? Why don't we just start there? If somebody tomorrow that's an unbeliever says to you, how'd your weekend go? What will you say to them? Will you say, oh, I went okay and go about your business and get to your job and do your work and let the noise bombard? Or will you pray and be sensitive to the Spirit of God and listen that this might be a divine appointment and just simply say, well, I had a good weekend. And you know, this is what we studied yesterday in church. Yesterday we talked about Jesus Christ and that He is worthy, and that He's the only hope for the entire world. We talked yesterday about turning the world right side up. Would you be willing to say something like that to somebody that say, hey, what, you know, what, what was your weekend like? What would you do? What's new? What's going on in your life? Hey, we talked about how the world is so upside down, and the only way to turn it right side up is to tell people about Jesus. Hey, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Well, what if they turn me off? What if they reject me? What if they don't want to talk anymore? What if they don't walk by me? What if it gets really awkward in the hallways? What if? You have anything in your life that's worth living for and worth dealing with that kind of persecution? You know what it says of Paul and Silas? They put him in the inner prison and you know what they did? They sang songs to God and worshipped Him. You know why they could sing at midnight with their feet in stocks and being beaten bloody? Because they were confident that they weren't living for themselves, but something much greater than them, the glory of God and the good of humanity and the world by way of Jesus Christ. 
We have uh, Easter coming up in a couple of months. We're building toward that. We've talked about some of that. We're trying to reach out. People, hey, listen, what about inviting folks to church? What about sharing the gospel? Just being about the Father's business. So I'm asking you to live a different kind of life. I'm calling you this morning as a preacher of the Word of God to make a change in your life. I'm calling you right now to live a different kind of life. And I'm not sure who's with me. We need a different kind of prayer life. I do. I need a desperate prayer life. I need a prayer life that, that, that is looking and seeking and longing for God to help every day just to keep me holy in my own life and to reach my family and our church and our community. We, we need that kind of prayer life. And we need to listen to the Spirit of God. Will you do that? Will you pray with me this week? Pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for your church. Would you pray this week that God would save, that God would use our church as a light in our community? And I don't mean just in passing. I mean pour it out to the Lord and listen to what He says back to you. I know you're scared a little bit about listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'll give you an illustration. You know, my wife... And my mother-in-law's voice are almost synonyms. They are almost the same. Years ago, uh, years ago, a uh, phone rang, and I picked it up, and I didn't see on the caller ID who it was, and I thought I was talking to Connie. Got to the end of the conversation, said, "Love you, babe." It got really awkwardly quiet on the other end of that line, and I realized that I was talking to my mother-in-law. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be some times in your life as a believer where you're trying to listen to the Spirit of God and you miss your kazip on it. I get that. But if you'll start loving Jesus and following Jesus and praying and saying, Lord, speak to me, teach me. What in my life needs to change? What do I need to do? If you'll learn to listen to Him, I promise you I can discern my wife's voice from all of yours. I wonder if there's some people in this congregation right now, just even in this group, that you're a believer, but you say, you know what? It's been a while since I've heard from Jesus. It's been a while since I've had my heart warmed by the Spirit of God and been convicted over sin and places to change. And I, I, I want to know Him on that level. Some of you are believers, but we're living automated lives. I'm calling you through the Scripture today to change the way that you pray and change the way that you listen. doesn't matter to me whether you're 70 or 7. Don't keep living the same way you have been in your Christian life or you'll get the same results. We can't keep doing what we've always done as a church or we'll never grow spiritually and all of that way. I'm calling you today to share the good news with people from all walks of life. I know maybe you're nervous about that. So how do I do that? I'm not sure where to start. 
We'll work with you on that. Send me an email. I'll be glad to sit down and help you. We'll try and do some trainings and work a little bit more on how to share the gospel, how to share your faith. But I'll tell you probably, and you've heard me say this before, places to start is just expose your faith. Just begin by talking with somebody. Just begin by talking to an unbeliever. By making a friend of an unbeliever. They hated Jesus because He had dinner with sinners every night. And when you talk, just expose your faith. How's things going for you? Oh, they're going pretty good. How's things going for you? You know what? Things are going a little rough right now, but this is what we've been studying in my Sunday school class. This is what I've been getting from the Word of God. Here's how I'm finding help. This is what Jesus has done for me. Listen to unbelievers. They will tell you where the pain of their life is. You want to know how to meet somebody with the Gospel? The good news meets people in their pain. Find out where their pain is. They'll speak to you about what's going on. Total strangers will talk to you about the pain in your life. Especially if you're tall and you can get things off of the top shelf at Walmart for them. I Trust me, it happens to me. When an unbeliever talks to you and the Spirit of God through prayer is helping you to listen to where the pain is, talk. This is just a moment of all of us together as family. I've just been convicted lately on, on all of this. I, I fear sometimes... We're talking a lot about the things of the Bible, but we're not actually living the kind of Bible life. Right? Like what I'm wondering, this is what I'm wondering. Can you all just meander with me for a second? This is what I was wondering this week. I read 16 and 17, and they're beating these people half to death, and cool things are happening, like Lydia's getting saved, and these guys are in prison, and dude's getting saved. They're singing at midnight. They're half getting stoned. They're going to the mountain and preaching the Word. People are getting born again, or they're hating them. You see that what's going on in the text? They either get saved or they hate you. And I read 16 and 17, and I realize that it's not prescriptive medication for me, but it's a descriptive life of a first century believers. But I'm wondering in my own heart, have I ever one time in my life lived anything like that? Or am I comfortable? And I don't know, maybe you're all weirded out by me today, but I'm determined in my life... I don't want to be as comfortable as I have been. I want, to, I want to talk to some unbelievers this week somewhere. But you don't think, I, you don't think it's weird for me too? You don't think it's odd? You don't think I choke up sometimes and what to say? I don't want to get to the end of my life and have not given the gospel to unbelievers. I'm just wondering somehow that if there is a switch in our hearts and minds, that if we decided that we wanted to live right-side-up kind of lives, that we might come in here a little bit more battered and bruised and on Sundays, and we really wouldn't give a flying rip as to what songs they were as long as we were worshiping and our hearts were being blessed and we were hugging necks and loving all people and ministering. That God would be pouring into our lives because we were actually really out there doing something. Man, I have no idea if any of that makes sense to you, but that's where my heart is. I want to live that kind of life. I don't want to get stoned, I'm telling you that. I don't want to get beat to death. But I also don't want to be so passive with my Christianity 
that nobody in the world ever gets saved and nobody ever gets frustrated. That's how we turn the world right side up. That's how I turn our, our lives, our families, our church, our community. We pray and listen to the Spirit of God. We share the good news the best we can with everybody all the time. Right? We'll live this kind of life. Just bow your heads with me and close your eyes just for a moment. In just a moment, maybe just heads bowed, eyes closed. Why don't you just pray? And I don't know. I say do business with God right there. Why don't you just talk to Him quietly? You can just talk to Him. Just give your heart to Him right now. In just a minute, we'll we'll stand. We'll sing together. And my friends, in, in this church, kind of what we do here is we want you to know that we are we're, we're calling you to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today, member, visitor, alike. If you've never had a moment in your life where you said, Lord Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and Savior, we, we invite you right now to make Him the King of your life. Lay down your weapons, lay down your pride, lay down your arrogance, and just say, Jesus, I trust you with all my heart. Save me. We, we, we call you to that. Because this is what we believe here. We call you through the Scripture today even our believers in this room. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to mess up this week. But somehow there's a call here for us. I think Jesus is beckoning us and saying, hey, you see what kind of life they were living? I get that you got a job and a 401k and kids to raise. I get all of that. But is there a small spot somewhere in your life Or you could live this way. Maybe right there with the Lord. Just find that place. Surrender that to Him. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.